We've had a tremendous day. I've, I've been so blessed. And uh, we've been looking at how we go deeper with God, drawing closer to Him, and drawing closer to others in that last very powerful session on how we need to learn to communicate in a way that is real and deep and honest and open about what's going on inside us, knowing that very often we just take the lid off, you see a seething mess of stinking flesh, but don't put the lid back on, keep going, because when you go deeper than that, you find beneath the mess is the glorious treasure of the Holy Spirit who lives in all of us. And when we communicate spirit to spirit, heart to heart, there's a connection. The Jesus in me connects with the Jesus in you, and there's a flow of life, two-way, AC, alternating current, power of God. And um, so when we now talk about how do we communicate with the lost, very much the same principles, only it's direct current because they don't yet have the Holy Spirit living in them. So how do we, how do we approach that? And I um, just want to say that if you're ever really going to go deeper with God, very, very soon you're going to have a heart that beats for the lost. I mean, don't tell me that you're a lover of God if you are happy to turn your back on the generation of people out there made in the image of God who are going to hell. Um, so if, if you love God, you're going to say, God, I don't want any to see anybody without you. You know at the end of the day, made in the image of God, that they have to choose for themselves. But you don't want to be the barrier that causes people to make a wrong choice. You want to be the flow of the current of God's love and power that, that switches them on to the right choice. So when we are drawing closer to others, you cannot draw near to God without also drawing near to those who need him the most. So how do we have an evangelistic conversation that counts a spiritual evangelistic conversation that really counts? So more often than not, our relationships with all of our friends and even those who don't know Jesus are particularly shallow and superficial. And um, they might be shallow, superficial, it's a good place to start. You can't always take a submarine voyage straight away. The kind of things that might bring you together, you have a common interest. Maybe you live near them, maybe you work with them, maybe you bump into them regularly. Maybe you've got to know people professionally and socially. And don't forget that your professional life and your social life is a platform, it's an extension of this pulpit. You're reaching out to them. But you can have all these kind of relationships, good strong friendships even, based on common interests, based on geography and, and occupation and profession and social connections. You can do all of that without ever meaningfully engage with them or move into their lives. I don't just mean emotionally or intellectually, those kind of discussions and communication are important. I mean to have the one conversation that really, really counts. The conversation about their souls. And now already this sounds very complicated, a bit scary, but I, I really want to tell you, and it is not 
It is so easy, so simple as you flow with the Holy Spirit in this. The tragedy is, is that even in our so-called friendship evangelism, it's more friendship than evangelism. Our conversation never really touches on important spiritual issues unless you have a kind of clumsy approach. I'm just going to give them the gospel. I gave it to them. Did they take it? No, but I gave it anyway. <laughs> and, um, and you can't do that really without having some kind of meaningful connection, a spiritual connection somehow. So we need to know how to do this. We've got to have some kind of plan in mind, some understanding of what's going on. To have a conversation with somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus, have a conversation about God. We need to know how we can perhaps awaken a person's desire to get to know God. How to discern and recognize where the Holy Spirit is working because he is working in other people's lives. And then how to connect with the Holy Spirit, how to flow with the Holy Spirit so you speak his words with power and precision. The wonderful thing about speaking about Jesus anyway, if you're, somebody's opening up to you as a believer and they say, I'm struggling, and they talk about something that sounds very complicated, it might be from your knowledge of pop psychology, it might be they might be suffering from bipolar or schizophrenia or, or some kind of chronic depression and, and you, you think, or anorexia, anorexia I, I don't know how to handle this. And you say, well, I don't know, leave it to the experts. No, the Holy Spirit's the expert. And you don't have to be a clinician to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not just what you think. Oh, well, you know, your problem is uh, you just need to eat some more. That's your problem. <laughs> Don't forget your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing to your body, actually? You know, it's no longer a temple. Temple is just a skinny stick, so you should eat more. Is that the Holy Spirit speaking? But the wisdom of the Spirit who dwells within you, if you know how to flow with the Spirit, you'll find yourself saying things that you would never have premeditated. And even the knowledge that you have about their background in religion and their ideas and philosophies, you won't be tempted to use those arguments unless the Holy Spirit brings them out because when he brings them out, they come out with power. So let's begin to look at the objective of this conversation with the lost. What's the objective? The objective is fourfold. We are to draw people to Jesus, not push them away, but draw them to Christ. Show them how attractive God is. Amanda was saying that how can we ever think that the world can compete with Jesus? He is the most attractive personality. The Holy Spirit is the most wonderful, attractive personality. And when they see how attractive God is, how attractive Jesus is, they will be drawn to them. We also want to show them in our conversation that faith is real. Not just like, I know that I know that I know, but that we show them, we demonstrate that the faith that we have is real in a kind of way that makes them jealous, that makes them long to have what you have, not in that condescending way that says, oh yes, that's nice for you. I'm very glad for you. You're a Christian. Well, me, I'm an atheist, and I'm glad for me because I'm happy for you. That's your view. I have another view, which is just as good for me. No, when you show them that faith in Christ is real and that Jesus is real in you, and there's one key way of doing that, which we'll get to, but if you show them that, they're going to say, I really want what you have. In other words, you're to help them see 
that God is relevant to the deepest needs of their life, that only God can fill their deepest longings, that what they've been searching for all their life and not know it really is God. So as we approach them, there's several things that we know with authority. We can say they are assumptions, but they are biblical assumptions. We know a lot about this person who's standing in front of us without even talking to them because we're informed by the word of God. We know, number one, that this person is created in the image of God. We know, therefore, that that means, above all, that they have been created for a relationship with God, to know God, and to glorify Him. And they will never be satisfied with anything less. We know that. Secondly, we know that something has gone wrong, not just with them, but with all of us. They have a fallen human nature. There is a profound sinfulness that is in their lives that will twist them at every turn against God. The Bible says that they fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Like a man, I'm not going to quote all the scriptures and you've got time and maybe there's some way of getting this information. You can make notes or what have you. Put it up on the leader's website, by the way. Uh, leaders.kt.org is a website for the leaders to get a lot of this material. Falling short of God's glory. Not falling short necessarily of their own standard of life and living what they want for, but falling short of God's plan. They will never ever find their real purpose for living without being restored to relationship with God you know that this sinfulness runs very, very deep. Deeper than you could possibly ever imagine. It's deeper than their childhood experiences. It's deeper even than their experiences in the womb. It goes so far back and so deep that it happened at conception. Psalm 51 verse 5, in sin... Did my mother conceive me? Didn't mean to say my mum my was immoral, that's why I was born. What it means is that from very conception, the very, very beginning of my humanity, I was infected by an anti-God virus, infected at conception. Therefore, my tendency always from conception onwards is to go in an, a self-direction, an anti-God direction. And no sooner was I born and began to grow and develop, you know about this person that they developed an anti-God and self-sufficient way of thinking, a way of feeling, a way of choosing. All their positive experiences were interpreted and skewed against God. This is what I need to do to be happy. It's just great, I want more of this. Or every bad experience is, is skewed against God. They don't turn to God for help, but find self-centered and manipulative ways, fleshly ways of avoiding pain and, and going after what makes them feel good. We know also that they, together with the rest of humanity, have forsaken the fountain of living waters, following their own ways by satisfying their thirst their own way, their thirst for spiritual relationship and satisfaction by digging out for themselves water containers that are broken that cannot contain water and that they are driven in this direction of idolatrous fulfillment. We know also that they remain, no matter how satisfied they say they are, 
no matter how rich or wealthy they are, how happy they say they are, we know that deep down in their hearts there remains an unfulfilled thirst, a longing for fullness, but they cannot find it, find it and sometimes not even aware of its existence, don't even know the nature of their thirst. And you long to say, like Isaiah said, Ho, everyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him buy without money. There's a free offer of real thirst satisfaction. St. Augustine said, You made us for yourself, O, o Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We know furthermore that they are resistant to truth. And you know, you know, that's so true. Resistant to truth, in fact, are dead to truth and, and believe everything but the truth. Resist the truth. We know also that they're relentlessly co committed to self-management, to self-government. There's a self-centered existence. Everything that they think and choose and the way that they live is according to what pleases them or what, what they think is going to make life work for them. And so they have a self-managed existence. It is a treadmill existence, trying to make their life work without God. Adam's choice to reject God and manage his life his own way has now become humanity's natural condition. And we will recognize this in them because there are massive traces of it still in our lives. We're not yet totally sanctified. And we will be compassionate with them because not just there go I, but by the grace of God, there go I. I have that same issue in my life. We also know that they are deeply convinced by an inbuilt selfish disposition that says, I have a right to be happy. God, if he exists, has got to be committed to my fulfillment. And we know that as a result of that, they spend the whole of their life trying to search for the good life, the better life, the happy life. Because they have been made by God, come from God, every person is incurably religious. The only thing that can cure them of religion is the grace of God and the new covenant in the Spirit of God. Sometimes this religious tendency is obvious in that it's committed to uh, going after particular gods and religions. Sometimes they're just committed to faith systems or belief systems such as naturalism, atheism, which are belief systems. They are assumptions. They might have their ways of justifying that. Well, of course, we know that we're here by evolution. We know that we don't need God for our existence and just as Darwin supposedly gave us a theory to explain the origin of the species, there are great cosmologists who are able to say this whole universe happened out of nothing, just happened that way without God. They might have all their science and philosophy, but for them it's a religion. It's not a science, it's not really a philosophy, it's a religious belief and they have to believe something. And what they will believe sometimes is absolute nonsense. G.K. Testerton said, when people stop giving up believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they end up believing in anything. Also, he was a, he was a very, very uh, astute uh, theologian and, and, and author and, and critic, and there was in the, in the Times a, uh, an advertisement put out to solicit opinion. Tell us, editors, tell us what is wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Dear sir, I am. 
That's what's wrong with the world, me. And this is how people live. With all of this, you may say, well, it's game over. No, only the Holy Spirit can awaken them, but the Holy Spirit has been given to convince them of sin, of righteousness and judgment, to begin to work in their life to show that life without God does not work, to show them that self-centeredness is, is, is personal suicide. But other-centeredness, God-centeredness, brings glory and joy and enjoyment. And only the Holy Spirit can bring them to faith in Christ. That's why we must never approach anybody, least of all, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, in a spirit of pride or arrogance, but in a spirit of brokenness, unless the Holy Spirit speaks. There's nothing that I can say. But we can also assume and I think it's a wonderful assumption, biblical, we can assume that everybody that we meet, the Holy Spirit is already at work in them because he's a loving spirit. Jesus died and the Spirit has gone forth into the world and God is working in their lives. And if you know that and you begin to discern where the Holy Spirit's working, you'll have something to say to them and at a deep level. Those are the things that you know and are certain about, but there are other things you don't know about them. But if you love them, you will be curious to find out. 